Good morning, Munger Place. I'm pleased to introduce to you this morning, Reverend Abe Smith. Abe is a friend of mine we met several years ago at a training event for pastors who were involved in new churches. And I'm pleased to tell you that in the fall, he's starting a new church in Northwest Allen. And I don't need to tell you just how important the ministry of new churches are. Abe and his wife Amy have four little kids at home, so I'm pleased he found the time to come to preach to us this morning. So please join me in giving Reverend Abe Smith a hearty Munger welcome. Great, thanks. It is certainly good to be with you this morning. I've been texting a little bit with Andrew this morning, and uh, he sent his prayer. He said, Abe, I was up early praying for you, which he knows I certainly need it. Um, and he said, I've been praying for the folks at Munger Place. And so uh, it is good to be here. It's an honor to certainly be here. I'd have the highest affirma affir affirmation and honor um, just to be in a relationship with Andrew. He's, he's a wonderful guy, as you know. Um, and for somebody that will be praying for you is, is wonderful. So if you don't have friends that are praying for you, you need new friends. Uh, so go find some new friends. And you want a pastor that's thinking about you and praying for you when he's not even with you. Uh, he's at an annual conference this morning. He's actually uh, said we're looking at the financial reports of his conference. And I said, oh, exciting. You know, that's what you want to be doing on Sunday morning um, as opposed to just being in a spirit of worship. So I want to start us uh, with prayer. If we take just a minute, uh, Andrew's praying for you guys. Just in a moment of silence, if you would just say a prayer for Andrew, uh, just for him and his family and certainly his leadership of the church. And they'd be praying for the people of Munger Place. And so let us uh, go to God in prayer. God, we give you thanks for Andrew. We give you thanks for the people here at Munger Place. We give you thanks that you're a God that knows us. Whether we sit in worship or whether we are at a conference or whether, whether we are at home or wherever we may be, you are constantly in our presence. And for that, we say thank you. God, be in this place now. Open our hearts and minds to your word and let us be alive with your spirit as we worship you this morning. God, we give you thanks for this opportunity. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. I'll start you off with a question. The question is, how do you see God? So in your mind, think for a second, how do you see God? Now, there's a couple of different ways to look at that question. If you're probably a left brain a thinking person, you think, oh, well, the way I see God is through prayer or scripture or through nature, and you think about the tools that you use in order to see God. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, would probably call those the means of grace, worship, and communion, and helping the poor, and those tools that help us see who God is. But if you're a little bit more creative on, and you're using more of your right side of your brain, then you're likely seeing God as um, a, a, what you visualize him as. You know, maybe he's this wonderful big teddy bear that's always there and, and ready to cuddle up and to love on you, or maybe he's like the police officer. You view him as this cop who's just ready for when you sin just to kind of slap a ticket uh, of sin on you, you know, so you, you have this view of how you see God. Well, as we look into scripture today, I want us to try to pull in both sides of those. How do we see and view God? What is the character of God? And what do we do? What are the tools and the means that we use in order to, to see God alive in the world today? And when we pull those in, we will discover an inner part of our life being transformed and being renewed for God's grace. And so we're going to look at seeing how we see God. I got a second question. What is it that you're focused on most in your life right now? What takes up your most energy, the most time? What are you focused on the most in your life right now? 
Because usually whatever we focused on most consumes the greatest amount of our time, our energy, and our effort. And then we live our life for that thing that we're focused on most. So maybe it's work, maybe it's a, a family, maybe it's a, a suffering or situation that you're in right now. Uh, maybe it's debt, you know, whatever that might be. If you're focused on that, your life becomes that because you're spending all your energy on it. Now imagine if we spent our energy seeing God. That was our greatest focus. How could we see and glorify God? So I'm going to do a little focus test. All right, so you got to pay attention. you got to be alive and, and awake and ready for the focus test. We're going to watch a video. It's about 20 seconds long. As we watch the video, there's going to be uh, six people playing basketball. Some of them uh, are in white shirts. Some of them are in black shirts. And they're going to be passing the ball back and forth, the basketball back and forth. Although you're going to see the, the, the girls in the black shirts passing the basketball, I only want you to focus on the girls in white shirts. And I want you to count how many times they pass the basketball. So there's going to be other distractions in the video. Your only goal is to focus on the girls in the white t-shirt and how many times they pass the basketball. All right, the video was done by Daniel Simmons, a guy who uh, is really uh, focusing on what people pay attention to and the things that they see. So how many, how many times do the girls in white pass the basketball? 16. All right. If you said anything other than 16, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, you're on your own there. Pray to God. Uh, so 16 times. Now, this video's been around actually for quite a while, so maybe you've seen the video before. Did anybody notice anything unusual in the video? Okay, a gorilla. All right, did anybody not see a gorilla? Look around, look at all these hands that are up. Statistically, about half the people who watch this video, if they're focused on the, on the girls who are throwing the basketball in white, they won't see the gorilla. Now, if you've seen this video before, this is a, a newer video, you're thinking there's no gorilla. If you didn't see the gorilla, you're like, there's no way there's a gorilla in the, the video. There's a gorilla. We're going to show the same video again in just a second. We didn't do anything to it. We're just going to show it again. There's a gorilla. It comes right out in the middle. Now, if you've seen the video, this is a, a newer take on it. Um, Daniel changed the video up. He left a gorilla in there. Uh, but if you've seen the video, you think, oh, there's a gorilla in there. You might not have noticed the screen color changes. The background is red, and it changes to a yellow-orange in the middle of the video. And one of the girls in the black T-shirt steps off screen partway through until he disappears. So those things happen as well. So even if you thought, oh, I've seen the gorilla, I'm cool. Did you notice that the screen changed and that the girl stepped off? Probably not, because you were focused on the gorilla. All right, so we're going to watch the same video again. Now just pay attention to the gorilla and the screen and the girl. All right, so originally we're focused on the three girls in white, and it's real easy when you're focused on them not to notice anything else that's happening. They're passing in basketball. It is 16 times. Okay, now watch on the, the right side of the screen here. Here comes Mr. Gorilla Man. Yeah, isn't that crazy? He's not only that, he's beating his chest right in the middle. And look at the screen. It was in the background. It was red at the beginning. Now it's yellow, and there's only two girls in black playing basketball. The other one had, had already gone off to the side. Absolutely crazy, isn't it? You're like, no way. You can Google it. You can tease all your friends with it uh, and, and see. When you're focused on one thing specifically, it's so easy not to see the other things around. I had a friend, uh, fifth grade. His name was Brooks Allen. We were in PE class, and we were in what was the old gym. It was an old basketball gym, and on one side of the gym uh, had some uh, gymnastics equipment and uh, balance beam and a number of other things, and then we were kind of hanging out on the basketball court. Well, what happened was a wasp came along and flew right around where we were, and Brooks is deathly afraid of wasps. 
So he saw this wasp. He took off running full speed across the basketball court. He turned, he's trying to look to see if this wasp is chasing him, as if wasps really just chase you all across the whole basketball. He's watching the basketball, uh, I mean, he's watching the, the wasp running across the basketball court. We all kind of shout right as he's getting to the edge of the basketball court. The balance beam is right on the edge. He turns around just in enough time to full speed hit that thing. And he just went down. He was on the ground grasping for air. He was like, <gasps> you know, just, just trying to grab, you know, one breath of air. And, of course, it was, as his friends, we were laughing hysterically at, at Brooks. Um, completely laid out. Did not see the balance beam at all because he was so afraid of this wasp that he thought was chasing him. He didn't want to be stung. That he never looked to see where he was going. That happens in life all the time. Just like in this video, when we get so focused on job, when we get so focused on career, those are the same. When we get so focused on our family or our difficult situation that we're in or the debt that we might have or the kids that we're trying to raise or or whatever it is, we have a tendency to lose sight of God. And before we know it, we'll turn around and we will run into some aspect of life and it will just lay us out on the ground and we'll be gasping for just a breath of air. Because we forgot where our main focus is. That main focus is to be on God. And if it's on God, then all those other things in life change and are transformed. If our focus is on God, then the way we do life, the way we go to work, the way we love our family, the way we spend time on our hobbies and doing our extra things, those things change because we've been changed by being focused on God. So if you've got a Bible, open it up. We're going to... 2 Corinthians, we're going to look at the fourth chapter. And this verse starts off, so, or depending on your version, it might be therefore. Um, And whenever you look at scripture, if you see a so that, or a so then, or a therefore, you know there's something before that scripture that's happening. So just before the scripture, before we get right into it, um, Paul is talking, he's talking to the church at Corinth, and he's uh, telling them, if you, if you go back a chapter chapter 3 and 4, uh, which are certainly worth looking at um, and, and reading, Paul is talking about um, to, the, to the Corinthians that you don't need a letter of recommendation to show your worth. And he's, what he's saying is, is that you don't need someone to, to identify you as a follower of Christ in order to be a follower of Christ. You need to know that God's spirit is written upon your heart And it doesn't take a pen and ink on paper to let somebody know that you are living for God's spirit. It is the way that you choose to live by your inner treasure. And he continues to say that we are like clay vessels with this treasure inside. We are clay pots, that we are people that, uh, you know, we're really not that fancy. We're not that exciting. We're like clay pots. But in us is this wonderful treasure of God's Holy Spirit. And so the Corinthians are looking actually kind of to Paul and saying, Paul, if you are a leader of the gospel, if you're someone who is supposed to be an apostle, someone who is a disciple of Jesus Christ, who is living for Christ, wouldn't God be on your side? Wouldn't God show you your favor? And so you find yourself in these difficult places in life, Paul. You find yourself suffering. You find yourself even in prison. Are you really a man of God? Because wouldn't God care for you? And so the Corinthians have this view of what it means to be a leader, of what it means, the the culture has this view of what it means to be successful. And Paul doesn't fit that. 
And so what he's, what he's saying is he's a, he's a clay pot with this treasure inside. And then he comes to verse 16 and he's saying to the Corinthians, so we do not lose heart. And he's, and he's talking to the church at Corinth. So that we do not lose heart, even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. He's saying if you want to live for God, you need to focus in on God. You need to see God. You need to look to the things, not of this world, but to the things that are eternal. Paul is, is really speaking to the culture here, speaking to the church at Corinth to say, church, don't worry about what the culture says, if they say you're successful or not, if they say that you're a people of God or not. What you need to do is look to God, and by looking to God, your inner self will be transformed in such a way that people won't help but see God in you. Now, I'm reading in a little bit to what he has to say there. But he's saying, if we live for the things that are unseen, then we're living for the right things. So verse 16, so we do not lose heart, even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. Our inner nature is being renewed day by day. How do you see God day by day? There's a number of different ways. I want to invite you to think of one is to be in prayer. It's to be in prayer. What, think in your brain, what's the first thing that happens to you every morning? What's the first um, uh, action that happens what's the first trigger of your life is it like an alarm clock is it your baby crying is it you know um, your spouse snoring what is the first trigger that you have in the morning all right you got that in your head for the next week when you have that trigger I wanted to remind you to say a prayer whatever it is something simple God let me see you today God, give me a vision to see you in my life today. God, I give you thanks for this day. Let me live for you today. What are, just a simple prayer, whatever that trigger is. So when the alarm clock goes off, whatever your alarm clock sounds like, uh, mine's a wonderful little harp. But two minutes later, it's this old car horn um, because I never really hear the harp. So really, my trigger is like this. Okay, that's for me. That may not be your trigger, but every morning, I wake up, I roll out of bed on my knees, and I say a prayer. I spend a few minutes in prayer. That's my trigger. So whatever that is for you, I want, to, I want you to wake up and to go to God in prayer. When I read scripture and I look, and I look through scripture, I always wonder, you know, why did Jesus pray? Jesus is the son of God. He's both God and human. So why did he have to pray? If he's fully God, what's the point of prayer? And as I look to scripture and you see the times when he's praying, especially in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's praying out to God that he would follow God's will, I think in those moments he's human. He's missing home. I mean, when I go away, even when I'm here today, I'm, I'm away from my family right now because I'm here with you guys. My family is still my family. I'm still my wife's husband. I'm still my kid's father, even though I'm away from them. And I miss them. But if I wanted to talk to them or see them, I would text them, I would call them, or these days and age, you can FaceTime or Skype or whatever that might be, and to connect with them. I think for God, I think Jesus prayed so that he could be at home with God. He never stopped being God, but you know, in his sense of humanness, he, when he was away from the direct relationship of being with God, he would pray to say, God, I want to be home again. 
Verse 16, Paul says, So we do not lose heart, even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. When we wake up in, a, in the morning and we start with prayer, we are renewed day by day. We're able to be at home with God. We're able to see God as we talk and we listen in our conversation. And so how do you see God? Start the day with prayer. Start the day with prayer. The second part of this, Paul says in verse 17, For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. An eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. It's not talking about this heavy weight that often life will burden us down and we feel weighted down by the world. It's talking about eternal weight, something that has weight, something that has priority, something that is of value. So we put a heavy weight on it. This eternal weight that he's talking about, for this slight affliction that we're dealing with, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. An eternal glory beyond all measure. How does Paul know that? How does Paul know that his current situation really isn't too big of a deal because he knows he's living for heavenly means? He knows that he's living for a life eternal. Not just like a pass to go to heaven, like, yeah, I love Jesus and I accepted Christ and now I get to go to heaven. He knows that even in his current suffering, he experienced eternal life. In our present moment, we can experience heaven when we are connected with God, when we are looking to see God. And so how does Paul know that? Paul's familiar with the Old Testament. For him, it was the Hebrew Scriptures. The Old Testament, he knows that Moses saw God. He knows that Jacob and Ezekiel and Isaiah, he knows from the Old Testament Scriptures that these were folks who saw God and knew God and were close to God, and that directed their life. And so he's looked to the folks of the past. He can also look to the people of the present New Testament that he's around. He can look to the disciples the disciples who were willing to give their life for Jesus Christ, that they were willing to give it all for a life in Christ. And he can look to them and say, you know what? It's worth it. So he goes to the scriptures and he can see that it's worth it. In Matthew 7, if you go and read Matthew 7, Jesus is preaching on the Mount of Olives, and and it starts in chapter 5, so 5, 6, and 7, at the very end of Matthew 7. Jesus says, anyone who hears these words of mine, puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rains fell, the winds beat against the house, and it did not fall because it was built on the rock. Its foundation was on the rock. Paul's foundation for life is upon the rock of Jesus Christ. He puts into practice the scriptures that he's heard and that he knows. He's looking to see God, and because of that, he's able to stand firm on God's word. All right, I'm going to teach you a Bible verse. So uh, you got to use your hands. So get your hands warmed up. Yeah, yeah. Um, you ready? All right, it's, it's, it comes from 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It's a very easy verse, and so when you leave here today, at the very least, you'll be like, I don't remember anything that guy said, but at least I know Scripture. Uh, so you're going to have Scripture upon your heart when you leave today. 1 Corinthians 10.31, if you'll say that, 1 Corinthians 10.31. All right, so the, the verse is, it says, So, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. And so I'm going to put together a, a little, I'm one of those kind of guys that I can hear it, Uh, And it's kind of okay, I can read it and I get nothing. But if I do it, I've I've got a hold of it. So if you got a Bible, you can read it if you're a reader. 
you're going to be hearing it, but you're also going to be doing it. So the, the, the actions are, so whether you eat, all right, or drink, that's like a healthy drink. That's not like, uh, you know, uh, you can imagine whatever drink you want there. So whether you eat or, or you drink, whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. It's kind of cheesy. I thought of it in the shower this morning. Um, you know, but I, I don't know if you're clapping for me in the shower because it's cheesy. Uh, either way, let's move on. Um, so the verse is 1 Corinthians 10.31. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Let's do it again. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Let's do it one more time. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. All right, now on your own. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Awesome. You guys are biblical scholars. Um, so you got it. So you've got a verse on your heart. Uh, the beauty of that verse, I love that verse, is so simple. Because everybody eats and drinks. Every day you're drinking and eating. And Paul's writing in that scripture, if you're eating and drinking, do it for God's glory or whatever else. So if you're going to take the most simple task and use them for God's glory, what about the bigger task? What about what it means for you to lead at work? What if your work was to come become a place of worship because you were trying to see God in your work? What if your families became a sanctuary because you're trying to see God in the midst of your family? What if your hobbies and your passions and your gifts became tools for the mission field, whatever that might be in your life? Because you're looking to see God in the way that you play basketball or you build furniture or you sing or, or whatever it is that your life will become a life of mission because you're looking to see God. And in seeing God, you're renewed and you're willing to live for God. And so the last verse here, it says, because we look not at what can be seen. Sorry, verse 18. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what cannot be seen is temporary. Man, I gotta learn to read. Back up. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. So where's your focus? Is it on the things that can be seen? Is it on the things that are the kind of the immediate your life right now? Is that your greatest focus? If it is, you're missing out. If that is your greatest focus on the things that you can see, you're missing out. Paul had no fear in suffering. He had no fear in, in being in the places that God called him to be, whatever those places were, because he knew that he was always looking to see God. He was always looking for the things eternal. And he did that because he knew a God who was willing to send his son, Jesus Christ. And he knew that in Christ, Christ was willing to die on a cross for us. And he died on a cross so that God would be glorified. And God's unconditional love would be made known to us. And then Christ not only said that, but he said, I'm going to leave you an advocate, one who will work on your behalf, the Holy Spirit. And it is through the Holy Spirit that we are alive in God. It is through the Holy Spirit that empowers us to even see who God is. And so Paul knows this Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And that's where he wants his focus, on the things that are not seen, the things of God. 
And if you wonder what some of those are, get into scripture, spend some time in prayer. You can also, uh, a fun verse is Galatians 5, and 23. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Andrew mentioned that I have four little kids, and, and they're 10, ages 10 to 3. Uh, last year, we spent nine months going over the fruit of the Spirit. So every month, we spend a different focus on the fruit of the Spirit. So one month was love. And so we put a poster board on the garage door, because that's the door we go in and out all the time. And our kids would write down little ways that they've seen love or experienced love. They would draw little pictures or, or you know, do whatever they need to do to express that. We would talk about that when we would have meals together. We would pray about it at night as a family. Looking to the things that are not seen, intentional about seeing where God is alive in the world and alive in our current lives and situations through love and peace and joy, self-control, whatever those fruit of the Spirit may be. And in looking to the things that are not seen, we see transformation in the lives of our kids. We see transformation in the lives of our own lives as our inner spirit is being renewed day by day. And so I want to invite you to continue to look after God. How will you see God? And how will you let, and how will you let seeing God transform your inner life? That we may, might be God's people. How will you see God and how will you allow seeing God to transform your inner life? Let me pray for us. God, we give you thanks that you love us and you know us. God, we give you thanks that you are constantly wooing us closer and drawing us near. God, we give you thanks that you sent your son, Jesus, to give his life for us. So God, let us see that. Let us hold on to that. Let us be reminded of the people like Paul who are willing to give it all because they knew your glory. And they're willing to live their life for that glory. God, let people see the same in us. A people who's focused on seeing you. Willing to draw close to you. And because of that, be transformed by you. God, we give you thanks. That you love us. And you give us an opportunity to love others. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.